Hey, Consumed Listener, this is your host, Jamie Lewis. Before I start this episode, can I ask you a little favor? Will you please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and or review Consumed? It helps other like-minded people find the podcast and it gives love to the folks who sponsor it. And listen, if you don't have anything nice to say, well, just imagine me channeling your mother here, okay? Okay, here's the episode and thank you. It's Consumed, the conversational food and wine podcast covering the flavor of California's Central Coast and beyond. This season, I'm covering lots of different eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers, including a mushroom expert, the team behind San Luis Obispo County's first Michelin star, a family of winemakers, an outspoken wine and food critic, a culinary-obsessed high school student, local food activists, pupusa enthusiasts, state historians, and more. Hungry? Thirsty? Let's get consumed. Niels and Bimmer Udsen started Castoro Cellars Winery on Paso Robles Highway 46 West in 1983, making them one of this area's oldest wineries. With a focus on Cabernet Sauvignon and Zinfandel, the Udsens built a huge following of people who love their, quote, damn fine wine. Music and art have always played a big part of what the winery has to offer, with a concert series presented by the San Luis Obispo Folk Music Society since 1996, and the now-famous Whale Rock Music and Arts Festival every September, which my family goes to every year. What began as a 30th birthday party for the winery developed into an annual two-day party, featuring non-stop concerts in the vineyard, eating, drinking, yoga, a silent disco, which is perhaps my most favorite experience on earth— a mini natural history museum, an art gallery, and lots of kids' activities. That event is produced by the whole Udsen family, especially Niels and Bimmer's sons, Luke and Max. We talked about the Udsen's Bethel Road Distillery, music, whale bones, Syrah, and much more. Max wasn't able to join us, sadly, but here are Luke, Niels, and Bimmer Udsen. Niels, I feel like a lot of this starts with you because you, in the research that I've done and what I just kind of know from, you know, ambiently from living here for a while <laughs> is that you, um, you came here, uh, you did not grow up here, right? I grew up in Ventura. Okay. I was born at Ventura hospital. Oh, um, me too. Were General, you? Yeah. <laughs> General <laughs> hospital. <laughs> you were born there. So you're Southern California guy. What, what was the path that led you to wine specifically? First of all, Ventura is not Southern California in my book. <laughs> Central Cal- Central Coast? <laughs> no, it's it's its own thing. It's it's once you get past the Caneo grade, it changes. Yeah. At least when I was growing up, uh, no, I, I went to the, uh, Cal Poly okay. uh, after high school, and that's I, I, at that time it was in the late seventies. People would go to Cal Poly and leave San Luis Obispo. That was just how it was, and I was one of the lucky ones that got to stay. Do you had an interest in staying? Um, not particularly. Uh, Bimmer and I were, uh, we were living together and I graduated in 80. She was from Denmark and, um, towards the end of school, it's like, oh, I need a job. Mm. And, uh, I found out that I like to do stuff with wine, did a wine project. And we had decided, uh, well, we went to Denmark and got married and that we were going to get in the wine business and maybe, uh, Oregon or Washington. So on our honeymoon, we went up there thinking that's where we were going to be, not knowing mm-hmm. that we we're, you know, 30 minutes away from a premier wine potential <laughs> wine potential, area right. yeah, at that point in time. And uh, we, we visited up there. I came home, sent a bunch of resumes. We we're living in Tascadero at the time. Got no response. Mm-hmm. And then um, he said, one no thank you. And <laughs> that's kind. <laughs> and then Bimmer found a job for me at a local winery. It's called Australia River Winery. Mm-hmm. And I started uh, Harvest there in 1981 as a seller rat, essentially. What was the, um, what's the connection with Denmark? How did you meet? Um, short version, long version? <laughs> Whatever version you want to give. <laughs> uh, her dad and my dad were best friends growing up in Denmark. Oh, really? And so uh, my dad immigrated after World War II. They were in the Danish underground together. And they had this group of guys that was lifelong buddies. And then he came uh, to the States. Um, and then when we would go to Denmark, we'd visit her family. And uh, not so much 
his family mm-hmm. or, or my family at the time too. And uh, so I've known Bimmer since she was uh, seven years old. That's remarkable. Yeah. And so I ended up living with her family when I was 14 for a year. went to school, learned Danish. And wow. We, we were good friends, brother and sister, then friends, and then <laughs> <laughs> husband and wife. <laughs> All of the relationships. Yeah, that was kind of nice with uh, the, the in-laws knew each other really well. That is really interesting. Bimmer, what was it like? What what year did you come here? Uh, I came the first time, I think, in 79. Mm-hmm. And so his family had invited me over to go to college for a year after high school. Mm-hmm. And that's when we kind of got together. We were living together, and I was going to Cuesta. Mm-hmm. And he was going to Cal Poly, and we were living in Los Osos and became good friends yeah <laughs> maybe a little more you're yeah. real good friends <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it, so then with wine though did you both study like crop science or anything like that ag I, I studied ag business management at cal poly at the time there was only i think one class in viticulture there's fruit science yeah and, but there was nothing to do with wine or or really uh, viticulture beyond you know Here's a grapevine. Mm-hmm. We prune them once a year, sort of thing. Um, but I did a I did a marketing project for Zaka Mesa mm-hmm. in my um, last quarter at Cal Poly, and when I'm time to try to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do, uh, you know, school was going to be over, and that was a rude awakening. And so I did this wine project, and now nah, that's agriculture. I get I can get into. Yeah, I've been working with my dad's company in the seed business every summer in Satakoy and um, and in uh, uh, Oxnard in the fields, tending vegetables and that kind of stuff. And I liked agriculture, I liked growing stuff, but I wasn't really excited about seeds mm-hmm. as much as uh, wine piqued my interest. So. Yeah, there are people who are super passionate about seeds. You oh, know? yeah, <laughs> my brother. <laughs> big time. Oh, really? Yeah, he has a, a very big seed company in Brazil. Oh wow! He's been down there for forty years, and that's he's he's a seedsman. So you come from an ag background. I don't think I realized that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. What did, did you know? What you wanted to do? I know that it sounds like wine was a. Um, well, I started. I started thing. in uh, ornamental horticulture, mm-hmm. and quickly decided that working inside a greenhouse full of chemicals was not really mm-hmm. didn't feel that good, and uh, so I transferred to egg business. I like business, but business business is just too corporate. I yeah. felt there's just there's there's no not fun. Uh, where egg business actually, you know, it's more hands on things you could relate to. Plus, it had you know growing involved and that kind of stuff. And it was kind of the background I grew, grew up with. Yeah. So, Luke, you when Luke was born. How far along was Castro Sellers at that point? <laughs> Luke can't answer that question. <laughs> no, I guess I'm looking at you, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was, let's see, born in 85. So we had, our, our company started in 83. Okay. So he was yeah, right in the beginning of it. A lot of, a lot of deliveries in a car seat between our, our van uh, as we were delivering wine locally or whatever. You know. Yeah. Did you ever think anything of that? Like, did you ever, um, did you feel overwhelmed or did it just feel like, no, this is how people start something? I ask because a lot of people of, uh, let's say, like late 70s, early 80s, I've talked to a lot of people who were like, well, no, that's just how we did business. Kids were in tow, you know putting things together, making deliveries, it was no yeah, big deal. I Whereas mean, for me, it feels like a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, I mean, there wasn't really any other choice. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, and uh, they would get, if I took Luke on a delivery run, I'd give Bimmer some time to herself. Yeah. And he'd usually sleep. To work. No. To work. <laughs> did I say, no, to, did I say sleep? Yeah. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I meant uh, some time to herself to do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, Luke was asleep is what I meant. Uh, Luke might take a nap or whatever, but uh, no, yeah, we just they were around or, you know, I'd be carrying uh, them on my stomach and, you know, working whatever I did. Yeah. At the time, we're talking about the, the I don't want to say the beginnings of wine country here, but definitely 
uh, more beginner than it is now. I mean, obviously. At that time, did you ever picture that things would grow to be what they are here in Paso? Um, no, I mean, like we were like Winery 13 at the time. Yeah. When we started. I mean, there, there have been a few that have come and gone. We're one of the few that are still here from that same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's... As it grew, we were a little bit concerned, like, hey, geez, how many taste rooms can we handle uh, right. along here? But it just seemed like the pie just got bigger, and maybe the slice got thinner, but it was still the same amount. Yeah. And uh, and then it, it was look at it like, you know, we created a critical mass where it was like became something that people would want to go to because there's you know a lot of options where when there's only four or five wineries like yeah it's a little sleeper yeah. tasting room you know wine tasting area but when there's you know 40 50 60 different types of wines and uh, tasting rooms it becomes more interesting and more of a destination right um you know we saw it growing but you know <laughs> is it done i don't know i mean <laughs> oh no no it's definitely <laughs> no not i know it, it's amazing to see what's what's happened over these 30 years. Right. We're, I mean... 40. 40. <laughs> 40 years. 40 years, yeah. Right. Um, so at a certain point, the winery... Well, which came first? I, I mean, I, I really love Whale Rock, um, the music festival. So I want to ask, which came first, Whale Rock or Beaverstock, as it used to be called, or the distillery? Was it Whale Beaverstock first? Uh, well, Beaverstock was... Um, for a 30-year anniversary of the winery. Okay. And uh, Bimmer and I, we said we want to have a party. Uh, it was 30 bucks <laughs> for <laughs> per day or for the weekend. I think it was 50 for the for the weekend. It was 30 bucks per day. And uh, this is going to be a you know a thank you to the community for having us around for 30 years. And then we uh, decided to continue. Mm-hmm. And you had bands and everything at the first yeah. the first one. I think Luke did all the booking from day one. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I, we only had one stage, though, so it wasn't as many bands. I think it was just eight total. It was four each day, mm-hmm. I think is what it was. Yeah. Was it mostly local groups? Um, There was a couple of local bands each day, and then the first night finished with Dave Mason, and mm. the second night finished with Tower of Power. Oh, that's not local. That's good. That's yeah, and awesome. and the Ducks were. The yeah, and there's a Canadian band called yeah. the Ducks. They played both days. Mm. Um, Eric Bear. Yeah, well, he was the next year. Well, he's he's the next he was the second year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when did it become a, a fundraiser for the Templeton Band? Well, it was always a fundraiser. The first year was for Must Charities. Oh yeah. And then. The subsequent two or three years was for the Templeton Education Foundation, uh-huh. and then we, um, the last few years, have done the Templeton High School Band. I love that you do the Templeton High School Band. And forgive me, I didn't realize it had ever been anything other than that as beneficiaries, but it seems pretty special. I know you give a lot to them. Um, and they have a really strong band program that, you know, it correlates to what's been put into it. Did you have, did the kids or grandkids or anybody has ever been in the Templeton High School Band? Is that the personal connection to it? No. I mean, Max and I, my brother and I both went to Templeton High. Mm-hmm. Um, I took music classes in at Templeton, but I wasn't in the, um, the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think... W- we just we wanted to give back to something local and the more specific that we could get i think yeah. the better and to be able to like directly impact a particular program that is relatable to what the festival and what we've been doing here for decades you know bringing live music mm-hmm. to the area um it just was a really good fit uh, to yeah. you know, to get to that point, to find, and they're really appreciative of the money. They need the money, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just all all around a good fit. Yeah, the procession that happens on what is it? It is on Saturday yeah. night. What is it called again? Isn't there a name for it? Well, it's it's the marching band that comes it's, down. Okay, I didn't know. I forgot. I thought there was some kind of a name for it. 
Well, there, well, are you talking about the one uh, Sunday night with Samba Loco or with Yes, Samba Loco. Oh, okay. That's okay, it. That one, okay. That's the one. Yeah. Um, when did that start? How did that begin? Samba Loca started, I think, five, probably five years ago least, or something yeah. like that. Um, and we, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember who saw them first or how that came about, but it just felt like a fun way to like bring the energy to yeah. this culmination before the last act and everybody can kind of get in there and listen to the, you know, the intensive rhythm mm-hmm. of, you know, 20 totally. plus people playing together. Yeah. So And it attracts kids. My kids are 11 and 9 and we wait for it every September. We just love it. But it's been so great to have them like they know when Samba is playing and they get super jazzed. I mean, it feels like Bourbon Street a lot, you know. Um, that that is part Camp. of the the idea. And just to get everyone involved, you know, that's mm-hmm. fun. Everything we do there with the silent disco, we try to get yeah. people doing things and talking to each other and uh, more than just sitting in a chair watching music. Right. Yeah. You do, really you're fun. very successful with that. Um, the The whale buddy system with the stickers, you know, you, so I'll just, in case somebody hasn't ever been. So you walk into Whale Rock, you go check in and you get a, like a name tag that has a number on it. And there's somebody else in the crowd, which how many people come usually? Uh, roughly 3,000 a day. Okay, okay. So out in the crowd, there's somebody with the same number, but only one person. And so there's a match there. No matter who you are, there's going to be a match out there. My daughter, when she was six, was standing in line for something, and she looked up at this really big guy, and he had her number. And she, like, tapped on his back and, and pointed at her number, and the guy looked down, and he's like, come on! So they went over to the, um, like, the headquarters, you know, and, and told the people, we have a, a match, and they got a shirt together. And it made two people talk who otherwise would not have talked, and it's just our favorite thing. She's very committed to the whale buddy system <laughs> now because she, she won. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a wonderful event. Um, but you're right. You've had music here from probably the beginning. Well, Is we've had a- music, so we, years ago, I don't even know how long ago, we, um, uh, a good friend of ours was involved with Slow Folks, yeah. uh, San Luis Obispo Folk Music Society, or mm-hmm. Folk Society, yeah. And so they were putting on house concerts, and and he was saying, you know, this place would be perfect for bringing some of these artists in. And so we started, and this is really before there was really any live music in the North County, mm-hmm. other than maybe like at the saloon or it'd be like bar music, but there wasn't any like concert type stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we started these shows, and we've been doing not the last couple of years, but one. Just about once a month, we do them in here in this room in the winter and then outside in the summer. And um, it's just been a great, it worked really well for both of us, for us to bring people in and try Mm -hmm. something fun with wine other than just, you know, sipping. Yeah. 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 And then we're doing some other shows with Good Medicine for Sense as well. Yes. And is that the Bethel Road Sessions? Is that with Good Medicine or is that something separate? No, that's something separate. Um, That is something I started as, well, I started filming bands for Whale Rock like five years ago or something like that because I would go to book local bands or they'd hit me up and they'd say, oh, I want to play at the festival. And I'd write back, hey, I've never seen you before. Can you send me like some footage of you playing? Because I want to see what you're... Sure. I want to hear what you sound like live and see you, not just like your pre-recorded stuff. Mm-hmm. And then people would send me like the worst cell phone videos their mom took or something. And it's like <laughs> just bl- the sound is blown out and you can't, it's just, you know, not a good representation. And I'm like, no one's ever going to book you if this is what you're sending to them. Yeah. So, uh, I got the idea to start, um, for the bands that were playing the festival, filming them, recording high quality audio, uh, and video. Um, 
I got my degree in music industry and technology, so I'm passionate and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, and so it was a a fun way to uh, promote Whale Rock, give bands some awesome content that they could help us promote the festival with and then also help them get shows, Mm -hmm. um, you know, down the line. Yeah. And so I started doing, we would call them the barn sessions, and we filmed them in a barn uh, before the festival, and we put them out leading up to the festival to say, hey, check out... Um, you know, so-and-so they're playing at whale rock this year. Here's a little teaser. Like Mm -hmm. they're going to be awesome. And we started doing those. And then I always wanted to come up with a way to do them year round because we would just do them this like one time a year for the festival and then wait a year to do it again. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I wanted to have like an ongoing series. Mm -hmm. And when we started getting the distillery going, it just seemed like a rad spot. To, with the backdrop of the still and yeah. just the vibe in there to um, and the distillery needed more um, attention you know from a yeah. marketing perspective and awareness and so um, I started inviting bands in to do what we called the Bethel Road live sessions right. and record bands playing live in front of our still and then we'd all share them on social media and YouTube mm-hmm. and stuff and it just it gets the bands exposing our location to their followers yeah. and you know on numerous occasions when some of these bands have had friends in town they come by our spot because they've we've got a good relationship with them and so it's kind of like a you know a non markety way to market yourself i guess yeah. and it's like a, it's a kind of a, a win-win scenario with I think, for kind them. Of a good karmic relationship. Yeah, for sure. Um, I first noticed you because Chris, I never know if it's Beelan? Chris Beelan, yeah, who is so talented, um, wonderful singer-songwriter. Was I, I, I happened upon you through him, want, looking for something on him. And yeah, the quality of those films is really, really good. Um, does justice, you know, to the product, which now that I hear that you were seeing films that weren't doing justice to it, it makes a lot of sense that the quality is so high. I want to take a minute to shout out to a couple of good friends of this podcast. Consumed is sponsored by Mid-State Containers, cargo storage containers, and refrigerated shipping containers for sale and rent in California. You may not understand how Mid-State Containers could change your life, but the truth is many, many guests on the Consumed podcast use Mid-State for their projects. Containers can serve as wine storage units for case goods, for private collections, and even tasting rooms. They can be refrigerated storage containers for breweries, kegs, and fruit during harvest for wineries. Mid-State Containers outfits coolers and freezers for ranchers, farmers market growers, orchards, and butchers. Containers can make great pop-up coffee bars and berry containers for root sellers. My guest from Season 10, Krista Flieger, from Lonely Palm Ranch, uses her Mid-State Container for an office on her property. Other ideas include schoolrooms, music and photography studios, and there are other things that can be grown, stored, and processed in a Mid-State Container, so use your imagination and get on their website to request a quote, midstatecontainers.com. Slow Life magazine also sponsors the Consumed podcast. Slow Life looks at what's going on in San Luis Obispo, including the arts, real estate, business, and the people impacting culture here. For the magazine, I just wrapped up my food column on crepes, which you may know as a French street food, but did you know that every February 2nd is the day of the crepe? In France on that holiday, people try to flip a crepe in the pan with their non-dominant hand, and if they do it, they're guaranteed a year of prosperity. See? You can learn so much from Slow Life Magazine. Get your copy at slowlifemagazine.com. The distillery, Bethel Road Distillery, how did that come about? Who drove that? I think (laughs) think it was when I was living in Italy. I really liked... um, Grappa, hmm. although I was only 19. <laughs> but, <laughs> you were legal there. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Um, I always thought I was legal. But uh, we, when we started the winery, uh, we discovered uh, that every winery could have a, a distillery. Yeah. And so we actually uh, applied for a, a distilling a license at the Castoro Taste Room property before there's any distilleries anywhere around here. And uh, 
we were, you know, getting ready to do it. We got, we had, we got the, we had our license and then we, we bought the property next to here that has this old uh, house that was built out of I love that brick, house. bricks that were fired on the property. And we were going to, oh. okay, we're going to restore this thing. When we bought it, you, there was two stories in the place. We, we're, we had plans drawn. We're going to go to the county, get the earthquake done. Well, then the 2003 earthquake hit. Yes. Uh, and the second, Story floor in it on the That's first floor. That's why it collapsed. So, I've always yeah. wondered. Okay, <laughs> uh, it was it, it wasn't you know tough shape to begin yeah. with. This just kind of sealed the deal, and so that was going to be where we were going to do the grappa. We were, we, oh, this is going to be the grappa house. We're going to you know this is great, and it's kind of lost our energy on that. But uh, I kept telling the guys, yeah, I really want to do the do the grappa. I really want to do it uh, to the winemakers and. They're like, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. And then finally I came back from a, a, one of the wine symposiums up in Sacramento and said, okay, I bought a still, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we are making grappa. <laughs> and then uh, th- during that whole process, we started making it, and then we acquired the, the Bethel Road property and thought, oh, you know, it's a winery separate from here. It'd be nice to have a different, you know, its own identity. Right. And uh, uh, moved the still there. and. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know that people don't have the same passion for grappa as I do. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, well, first of all, I didn't realize you lived in Italy at some point. Where were you? I was in Parma. Oh, which was just voted the number one best quality of life in all of Italy. <laughs> well, I could have said, told you that in 1976. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was under the radar. It was, it was just like, it was like Italy. Yeah. No tourists, really. Now it's changed since I've been back. Uh, the the people there that I live with, they're like family. I lived them, with them for nearly a year, mm-hmm. and uh, Luke's been back to work with them oh, and cool. live with them. And Max has been there. Uh, their kids have come to live with us for a while, so mm-hmm. we're you know we're just really close. And uh, I always tell people go to Parma. It's off the radar. It's just but when you go through the town, it's it's like I don't know. Just a step back in time, it's right? Really, really cool, spot. and that's Emilia Romagna, right? Um, yeah. Which is un—I mean, pretty under-touristed as far as those. Yeah. Well, now that go. they've been f- discovered for food, yeah. I mean, I, it, we we were eating all the great food then, Ugh. and um, the first thing anybody says when you tell them you're from Parma, they say, "Ah, dove si mangia bene," which means, <laughs> "Oh, that's where you eat really well." Right. Everybody, every Italian will say that to you. Yeah. Every time. And Bologna is Fat City, which yeah. is right next door. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were there, so so you fell in love with Grappa there. It's such a, to me, it's, I think it's a tough sell um, because it's so, it's almost like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm not doing any justice here, but it's like a martini. It's like drinking a martini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, I was like, I tell people it's a, it's a digestivo. It's what right. you drink after dinner to melt all the food you just ate. Because yeah. it, it is, it just, and it does help settle food. Hmm. Um, I mean, there are lots of, I was like crappy grappa out there, yeah. no doubt. But, um, you know, we make it from really fresh pumice, mm-hmm. and so the flavors are really clean. The aromas are, are super nice. Um, it is strong. I mean, there's no doubt about I it. I mean, but, it has to be, uh, yeah. But, I mean, so so is, you know, whiskey and vodka and all that kind of stuff. But it, sure. uh, once you've learned to appreciate it, it's really a, uh, a nice uh, beverage after, and the, after dinner. But also people are, are figuring out... Uh, great cocktails to make with it too for sure yeah 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 i mean i think with the grappa thing people have a hard time getting past preconceived notions that they've you know whether they've had bad grappa at some point in their life or their friend told them that grappa is bad i mean even like you know everything we make over there is technically brandy because it's yeah. all fruit based and there's people who think oh i don't i don't like brandy yeah not realizing that you can make gin that is technically a brandy right. and they love gin but they People think, do but, they, gin. but yes. they think they don't like brandy, or like, you know. Yeah. But a lot of it is just it's education. It's being open to mm-hmm. um, trying new things and to understanding what you're trying. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, that process isn't something you can force on people. You yeah. Know? There, were, there was a, uh, a a place making grappa. I can't remember where it was. And they are experiencing kind of the same thing. We are. They changed the name to something else. And it's like their most popular spirit. Now. Isn't that so funny? Yeah. yeah. I could totally see that being the case. Yeah. yeah. 
The first time I ever had a grape-based gin, the texture is so different from something distilled from whatever grain or, you know. Yeah. It's so... It's more I, luscious mouthfeel. Yes. It's, it's viscosity. I mean, yeah. is that right? Yeah, it's, it's almost Or oilier more, kind yeah, of in a great exactly. way. Um, so it's also a wonderful way for a winery. I mean, we've this has been... As a food writer, we've talked about you many times. And, and this... Um, style of business where it's using waste to make something very, you know, delicious, profitable. It's good for everybody. Um, was that something you had intended to do all along was to use the pumice from, well, to make rubber, that is what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like in Italy, they, um, their pumice is, is, uh, measured and kept track of. If, if you need to, a winery has to deliver it to a distillery because mm. they're afraid that you'll be making your own personal grappa <laughs> so it's, it's very uh very controlled and you know here uh the the, the very very large wineries will will uh, will do take the alcohol out of the out of the out of the uh, byproduct the must huh. from pressing but most don't but it yeah it is it is there it's it's in the you know we wash the pumice and you get alcohol out of it, yeah. or you wash the white grapes and get the sugar out and then ferment that. Mm-hmm. Um, so but really, the amount we do yeah is not yeah. very little. Yeah. And mostly, what we do at the distillery now is not things other than grappa yeah. that yeah. are made right. from wine and right. distilled. So yeah, tell me a little bit about those because it's changing and evolving all the time, isn't it? Or growing, I should say, all the time. The, the different things we're making over mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I mean, that, I think it's also the, the Bethel Road is kind of a platform to to be a little more experimental, I guess, at smaller lots, uh, whether it's wine or, or spirits. So, you know, we have, uh, uh, we do a Nocino, which is an, a, something I made when, or, yeah, made when we're in Italy. It's made with uh, green walnuts. It's a, a sweet walnut liqueur. We do mm-hmm. uh, a gin. We do a, a neutral based uh, spirit, which is like a vodka. Mm-hmm. Uh, different kinds of brandies. The, a gin, a barrel aged gin. Uh, so it's a, yeah, ever evolving yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, Luke, I, I meant to ask this before, but see, I didn't realize you went to school for music industry. What was the name of the the degree? Yeah, it was music industry and technology. Where'd you go for that? Uh, Chico State. Oh wow. Okay. And where does the love of music come from, or interest in it? Um, I, I think from I mean from a really young age, I was always really into music. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was like just listening to my tapes, um, your tapes, you know, I my, love with it. my with I my walk my life. Um, <laughs> you know, this tape, this tapes was like. My life was in there. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I was just really into listening to music for a long time, um, and then I got my first electric guitar, I think, when I was like in fifth grade. Oh wow! Um, and took lessons for a little while, um, like a year, and then I decided I didn't want to like try that hard, and I stopped, and then started again my freshman year of high school, and have played ever since. Mm-hmm. But it was like I was always just really drawn to music musicians mm-hmm. um analyzing songs lyrics whatever like you know yeah. my bedroom walls were all covered in like band posters and things like i was just really into it um and so when it came time to go to school um i you know my parents encouraged me to you know study what i was interested in yay hooray. um and I was, you know, well, if I'm going to be honest with myself, I'm interested in music. Mm-hmm. And I had already grown up working in the wine business, you know, my, every summer my whole life. And so I felt like I knew pretty well how it worked. And if anything else additionally that I would need to or ever want to learn, I could learn from, you know, our from my parents, from our winemaking team. It's pretty handy. Whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So paying to go study that didn't seem like, the best use of, you know, time and resources. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was just kind of a, and what, what, the reason I chose that degree also is because it was being music industry and technology. It was actually 
basically music combined with business. Mm -hmm. So um, I was getting taking business management classes, accounting classes, things like that. Which is never a bad thing. So it wasn't like if I just studied music and was only learning like music theory Mm -hmm. and, you know, to be a musician strictly, it was the, the idea of that degree is to teach you to be in the music business potentially as like a manager, a promoter or, you know, all that stuff. Um, and which has been actually a really handy thing because now being back here, we have since developed, you know, the whale rock music festival. Um, I book the music Mm -hmm. and promote it. And so I've over years have developed, a uh, you know, relationship with musicians and promoters and agents and agencies. And I, I'm really, really immersed in, in music still booking it and promoting it and doing, you know, those videos. But we, we have shows at the winery year round also. Mm -hmm. So we get to, you know, bring artists that we love, not only to whale rock, but to our tasting room and then bring, you know, our friends out and build, you know, build personal relationships with these artists. So Mm -hmm. it's been a good, you know, if I was only doing wine, that probably wouldn't be enough for Mm -hmm. me. So being able to have the music component be such a, integrated part into our business has been really awesome. Yeah, it's super integrated. Well, how much of uh, the wine part of the business is part of your day? Um, so for me, where I am involved in the business primarily is um, marketing, kind of like brand management, all okay. that kind of stuff. So, you know, social media, our web presence, our websites, um all that kind of stuff. So basically my job is to make us remain, keep us relevant, keep us out there, you know, our experience to be authentic. So when somebody looks us up on, whether it's on Instagram or on Yelp or Google or whatever, they're seeing the authentic Castoro sellers and they're excited about what experience that we, you know, are offering, whether it's, whale rock or yoga brunch or distillery mm-hmm. or you know our we have rental houses on the property um, or the tasting kind of room or, you know, i mean you didn't even room. mention you know yeah, the, yeah, the exactly. original and that's another big part of it too is um for me is I'm, I'm heavily involved with our tasting room our tasting room staff the messaging the um vibe that mm-hmm. we're putting out here trying to keep it um constantly evolving and you know authentic um and true to our roots you know that my parents established so long ago but also making sure that we're not getting you know complacent and comfortable because there's 300 wineries here now and everybody's making great wine and doing really cool stuff yeah and you know we have to stay at the forefront of what's happening we have to be innovative still we have to you know look at ourselves in the mirror and say hey that used to work doesn't work anymore Mm -hmm. how are we gonna you know shift a little bit so that we can capitalize on this new trend or you know yeah how does that feel to you as founders when when you know we're talking about uh evolving and standing out you know if you've been here for so long are you comfortable with you know working to stay relevant uh yeah i think I think we found from what we've been doing that that's how it's been. Yeah. And since we started, because things, when you we think back on the early 80s and just wine tasting in general and the wine that was made here and everything has changed. And it's, I think that's what we've been seeing, that everything just keeps changing. And it's great to have Luke and Max and the family involved in in getting that perspective into it as well as mm-hmm. our own and, and just kind of carrying that through. And I think everyone is very respectful, which is great, of how we got here and yeah. what we're about and not just, well, now we're going to do something completely different because mm-hmm. that's what we want to do. So we there's a lot of uh, communication between all of us about everything, sometimes to the point where some people that are part of that conversation that I can't handle this because it's, we do everything is like a lot of emails back and forth. What do you think? What do you think? I think this, and what do you think? And, uh, it keeps going and, and which is great. And I think in the end that, um, brings a good, you know, a good space. Out totally. Here, so. Yeah. I, I think when we started too, like we always just put back into the business mm-hmm. and like someone, this is like in the early taste room time, 
people that go, oh, how do you have your parking lots full? And how do you do it? I go, well, we have shade. Can <laughs> we invest it in, in, you know, look at your, you have no landscape. <laughs> yeah. Why would anybody want to hang out? I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, we, you know, and then pretty soon people are, oh, okay. So, you know, that's that whole idea of making, before it was just, you know, if you, if you had a door that opened to a bar for wine taste, that's all you needed. Mm-hmm. But we kept trying to elevate that uh, experience yeah. all the time. And, and now it's, I mean, it's really, just everything's become so experience oriented. It is, and, yeah. You know, we're feeling like, wow, <laughs> we thought we gave an experience, and you go see somebody else's, and you go, wow. Uh, but but that's what has been always the way to to, to try and stay ahead, just yeah. to keep thinking about what we could do different or, or better. Once more, I want to give love to a couple other podcast friends. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining local, organic, and non-GMO standards. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. With a mission to empower health and well-being in the community, they offer local produce, meats, low-to-no-waste foods, and wellness items. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. Now hear this. Wine and Spirits magazine named their top 100 wineries of 2021, and the good people at Native Nine Wines in Santa Maria made the list. Not only are they among the top 100 wineries in the world, they are also one of 10 producers from the Central Coast on that list. So side note, go Central Coast, a tenth of the world's top producers. Native Nine produces Pinot Noir, only Pinot Noir, from organically farmed, minimally irrigated, hand-harvested vines that owner James Onaveros planted in 1997 when he was just in his early 20s studying crop science at Cal Poly University. James grows eight Pinot Noir clones on his Rancho Onaveros vineyard, and winemaker Justin Willett shepherds the wine to bottle with a distinct focus on whole cluster fermentation. If you've been looking for the right bottle to share at the holiday table or to gift to a loved one, look for the Native Nine link on the consumed website or visit ranchostayonaveros.com. Niels and Bimmer, what's your role now with such an established <laughs> winery? What? How much of like when harvest happens? Where are you? Um, you have your feet. The computer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm involved with every day during harvest is what's going to p- be picked from our vineyards. Okay, for sure. Um, I'm involved in the grapes that we buy, which isn't that much, or grapes we sell again, not much, but. Um, uh, as far as like when they're ripe, you know, I know them really well, all the vineyards. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I work with our vineyard management team and say, okay, I think we should head over there. You know, we're getting samples all the time, but, and I'm out in the field, uh, t- tasting. I'm not at the winery crushing the grapes anymore. Yeah. Like I used to be, my hands aren't. You've earned super. your right not to yet. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, if, push came to shove i could go out there and unload trucks and mm. and and run the presses i wouldn't you know wouldn't, wouldn't be that hard uh but you know just roles are, are a little different yep now so but i still love being out in the vineyard for sure bimmer what do you what do you what do you contribute to everything now <laughs> that's, you that's also a raised question. a family yeah, yeah I, that's I, a good question yeah. so um I don't just sort of involved a little bit in everything mm-hmm. and keeping a kind of an eye on everything is the, the biggest thing I think. And yeah, she finds um, she sees the, sees the things that I miss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, no matter what, I feel like I need to I need to know what's going on with with all the different parts and um, and I work with Luke over here on the tasting room side of it and um, just kind of a lot of oversight and certain projects that I'm very involved with and yeah. and Whale Rock we're all very involved with yeah. and so yeah all hands just on a, deck yeah that. just a, it's just a little bit of everything is yeah yeah um and we haven't even talked about Max what's his role in everything Max uh really is heavily involved in the distillery okay um obviously everybody's involved in big decisions and you know things like Whale Rock um, but on a day-to-day basis, he is 
um, very involved in uh, the distillery, distillation, um, production. Like he is a much more of a production-minded um, person than I am. He mm. he runs. He knows how to run the still over there. He isn't um, always the person that runs the still, but he's overseeing the distillation um, and. Uh, just kind of the general production, you know, where we're storing stuff, barreling it, and working with the winemaker, like nuts and um, bolts stuff, like yeah. really, yeah. In so there. on a on a day to day basis, he's definitely um, the distillery is kind of where he right spends and most of his time. If we do, if we go back to him growing up, as opposed to Luke, who was super into music. Max was always into building things. Mm, mm-hmm. And so it, was, it really just, they're very distinct that way. Um, and uh, so he, and he went to Chico also in uh, mm-hmm. construction management because he liked to build stuff. That's cool. And so it's very handy as we're, you know, doing additions or looking at whatever projects he's got that mindset of in that direction. So mm. it's a good uh it's a good pairing, I think. Did he build the still, or did you guys no, no, purchase it? No, uh, that was built in Bavaria. Is it called a whole Holstein? Arnold, Holstein. Holstein. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because I, I just at some point he might have to build a still if he likes to build things, you know. <laughs> um, well, I know uh, that there was a story. Well, so names for you seem to be really important. So there's the name Castoro Cellars, and I always loved that it was damn fine wine. Um, where does the word Castoro come from? Well, my nickname is Beaver. Why? <laughs> because <laughs> we think it's because my brothers couldn't say Niels when they were when I was like two weeks old. Yeah. And baby evolved to Beaver. Oh, how so cute. I mean, uh, Bimmer called me Beaver. Um, Anybody I grew up with only knows me as Beaver, Beaver. I love um, it. And uh, so after living in Italy and trying to come up with a name for a winery, uh, we're like, Niels, no. Bimmer, no. Utsen, no. Beaver, no. Uh, <laughs> and we went, oh, Castoro. That's Italian for Beaver. I like ah, that name. So, okay. so that's uh, where the name came, came that's from. That's awesome. Yeah. And then Damn Fine was just, I think it was my dad kept saying, this is damn fine wine, beef. <laughs> and we're like, can we use that as a logo? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But then you named the Music and Arts Festival Beaverstock. Yeah. Which is really cute now that I know about the name. Um, I heard there was a little a little dust up over the name. Yeah. Um, got a letter from the Woodstock uh, Foundation attorney for season desist. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're like, you own everything with stock? Uh, related to a music festival and I mean if we started looking at what they'd done and they had shut down a lot of different music festivals uh, that were using stock mm-hmm. uh, they weren't unreasonable in their request for the season assist but they, you know but the well, idea did, of it was did, I mean we totally ripped off yeah, the, the logo the and the, the yes yeah yeah I mean we, we ripped off it was supposed off, to be a one time yeah one. Yeah, and then I did it, I think, three years was Beaverstock, three times? Well, this year was the first year there has been as many whale rocks as Beaverstocks. Okay. Oh. There was four Beaverstocks. There's now been four was whale rocks. four? Wow. Next year will be five whale okay. rocks. So, <laughs> so they, in some cases, they'd even made people who'd printed all their merch up not sell it to destroy it. Wow. But they they thought, oh, we like we like you, your little festival, and uh, the the people you're supporting. So we'll, we'll send you a, a licensing agreement, and you choose the amount, and whatever the amount you pay us, we'll give to Timba. The, and mm-hmm. I thought, okay, but then they, they never they never sent a license agreement, whatever. We but we felt like it was time we had to change the name. It's so. crazy to me th- when you said, you know, we like you and your little music festival. I mean, think about how Woodstock began yeah, as know. like a no-name, nothing, yeah. you know, out in a field. And now they have a foundation that mon- yeah, I mean, it, monitors that. And to be honest, like they're making a lot of money selling memorabilia to Target and Walmart and places huh. like that. And whoever is running that foundation is their job to protect their ability to do that Mm. for as long as possible and so they go after anybody that is infringing on 
You know, you just assume that, oh, yeah, Woodstock was so long ago, nobody's going to care. Like, they're going to think it's cute or funny. Yeah. But you don't realize, you know, in this world we live in, everyone's trying to make a buck. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I thought what they did yeah. was, was okay to try yeah. to let us do it. And they obviously looked at it and thought this was an okay thing and we're fundraising and mm-hmm. the, that yeah. they just never really acted on it, which is fine. And then we I, changed I think it. in retrospect, too, though, it was a blessing in disguise because – it was cool to have beaver stock with that connection and that um, kind of throwback vibe initially. But I think now that we've changed, mm-hmm. the festival has really developed its own identity. I that is agree. All about us and what we are doing, and it's not. You know, beaver stock is kind of cheeky. It's kind of. If, for some people, it's sort of cheesy. For some people, it's really like, oh, that's awesome. I love, yeah. you know, I loved Woodstock or whatever. And so I think it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise for us to really, like, have the opportunity to turn our festival into a really solid, like, thing with its own identity, you know, identity its own logos and branding. And feel. So where did Whale Rock come from? I mean, we have the reservoir here. Is that why you named it that? Well, we... we um Back to naming things. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in the vineyard, uh, I think originally it was called Bethel Road Vineyard in the very beginning. Right. And then uh, we started defining all of these whalebone fossils all hmm. over the place. And and uh, we're like, you know, and then and then I think we bought the, the Bethel Road Distillery yeah. property. Like, That's a better name for that property and Well Rock because of all the, you know, there is the, the reservoir that certainly gave us an idea, probably planted the seed. But we're going. There's so many whalebone fossils here. That's amazing. So let's let's call it whale rock. That's incredible. Yeah. You, I mean, you were part of that strata, you know, of history, living so history. At, so at uh, at Whale Rock Music Festival, there is a I do a whale museum. I don't know if you've been is in there. Is that I have? Is yeah, that your baby? That's my baby. Oh that's my one of gosh. the strange things that I do. No. <laughs> and, and It but is then, strange, but it's wonderful. Yeah, it's just kind of a fun way to show off some of the bones that we've found yeah. and uh, kind of give a little bit of a history. Uh, just tell them, like, we took this wine writer up the other day what we found. Oh, yeah, we, we, we had a group of, the, of people here and we're showing them the vineyard and and we're going, oh, yeah, we find all these whale bones out here. And they're going, really? Where do you find them? I said, well, I could probably find one. And so we walk around, and, and I found one in, like, a couple minutes. And then <laughs> then you find one. And I think we ended up finding ten. ten bones. Get out of here. And they were just like, so did you plant them? <laughs> I was like, no. I That's thought it was a really lot. amazing to find that many in one. like just. But they are, they're, especially some places, they're all over the place. And, wow. Um, and we have some big, big rocks that have the ribs coming out of them, and some of those are also in front of the museum there. Amazing! Just, and you've got vines yeah. growing in it. You know, it's yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Really, we haven't even really talked about the wine at all, which no, is not I know, cool. I was about that. Um, well, um, wine. Well, so your focus um, when you started, what was the variety that you felt the most passionate about, or like saw should? should grow here I, I would say um uh i started a straight winery that's uh, where uh, gary eberly was right and, and he was starting his own winery the year i left or i came he was leaving and uh, they were pretty much dedicated to cabernet mm-hmm. and uh which you know in the long you know it is what Robles really is, the Cabernet yeah. growing region. And so we figured that would be the wine that we would we really like Cabernet. That would be our wine. But then you know, we started dabbling in a lot of different Zinfandels. Mm-hmm. And here at the taste room, people just loved all our single vineyard Zins and different kinds of Zinfandels. So here in the taste room, it's pretty much Zinfandel. Out in the marketplace, it's Cabernet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, then... I started to get a little crazy with all the different varieties that we've planted and we're making. So it's kind of fun. And, and luckily our winemaker likes to make different wines. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're making like 20 different varieties. Wow. And, uh, but, uh, so, you know, we just started, start, you know, initially it was Cabernet, Zinfandel. I don't think we did Merlot right off the bat. No uh, whites at all. Uh, uh, Chardonnay and okay. uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the main four, and then 
White Zinfandel came into play at some point when there, when Zinfandel itself was about to be phased out. Mm-hmm. That was we had that on the list for a while. Yeah, that's a really full. Um, that's the full complement of Paso. You know, I think Cab Zin yeah. for oh, sure. And then, then Syrah came later. I mean, Syrah got a really big uh, following and a lot of press. Maybe mid '90s or something yeah. like that, and with the Hospice de Rhone and the Rhone Rangers and all that. But the the problem is that just you don't people don't buy that much to raw. I know it's so funny. I would you know people would ask me, well, I'm, I got 50 acres. I'm going to plant half in Cabernet and half in Syrah. I'm like, okay, do the math, mm-hmm. and that's how many cases of Syrah. Who do you know that makes that many cases of Syrah? And moves it. And Yeah, and, and moves it. And they're like, hmm, good point. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I love Syrah, though. It's, 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 I yeah, love it, yeah. 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 But uh, I know that that's been a tough... I a, think it's also a wine that has been made in so many different styles. And yeah. so I think you don't always know what you're going to get. So I think yeah. people think, oh, this is great wine. They buy another one and... They don't like it, and so then I think maybe people get turned off. Yeah, Cabernet has a distinctive style where Syrah can be really meaty, it can be really fruity, it depends you know, whether it's from uh, Australia or from here. Or and from, too much alcohol or, is one or of the... Cool, growing in a cool weather or hot weather. So yeah. It really changes where Cab is pretty, almost no matter where it's grown, it's got pretty much a, a distinctive style and character right. about it. right. Well, um, you've been generous. You've given me so much time. Let me just ask you a final question that I ask everybody. Um, and this is each of you individually. You don't have to answer as a group. Uh, but, uh, and maybe you could also answer for Max. I just, I want you to guess. What, if you were going to celebrate the last day of your life, what would you eat? Who would be there? And what would you drink? And so let's guess for Max. What do you think Max would want? Wow. Mm-hmm. What would he eat? He'd eat, I'd say something Asian. Yeah, he really likes Asian fusion food, yeah. kimchi tacos, perhaps. That's one <laughs> that he always brings out late night. Um, <laughs> he'd want his mom there for sure, and, <gasps> and probably his wife, <laughs> and uh, who else? And his dog. Zay. Anybody else? What was it? Was there three parts? Who would be there? What would you eat? What would you drink? I think you got oh. it. Oh, what would he drink? What would he drink? I feel like he would drink some kind of a cocktail, like a Negroni or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would, they would kind of, he, he and his wife are very into flavors and fusion cooking. And mm-hmm. you go over there, it's a flurry of activity when they're cooking. There are like 50 different ingredients out there. So I think if it's a cocktail or a, or a sandwich. It's Lots like, of parts. Yeah. 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 Niels, what about you? What would I eat? Hmm. Something from my garden. We have a, a prolific garden, so I'd probably say something from there. Um, of course, Bimmer would have to be along. Uh, just family, I guess, would be there. Yeah. And um, what would I drink? Um, probably Well Rock Syrah. That's one of my mm. favorites. <laughs> well, we're pretty, pretty much the same. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the Whale Rock Syrah. That is one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and who would be there would be, well, my family for sure. Mm-hmm. And we have a really close group of friends that um, I think we would probably all, and a lot of them are common that we have with the kids. and The usual suspects. Yeah, kind of usually <laughs> some, of, some of our dear old friends and then some of their friends that they've made that they've been very close with and, we get together for some really fun times, and I think that's what what I would would like to who I'd like to be with. Oh, maybe a cold and table with beer and schnapps. Yeah, that's <laughs> an, that's another. We do some great cold tables, like a Danish tradition with a beer and schnapps, which is really fun. And, oh, I love that. Uh, so maybe the day before I drink the Syrah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Luke. Hey, it's your last day on Earth. You can do it all in that day. Um, okay. Food-wise, I would definitely be eating something fresh, local, like from either my parents' garden or a local farm. Mm. Um, I really like uh, Avanalis Ranch grass-fed beef. It's Mm. local, uh, all-organic grass-fed. 
cattle ranch that we're friends with the family and it's really really high quality done right great people um mm. so probably something like that um with yeah just like some really good roasted veggies and a big salad and stuff like that mm-hmm. um who i'd want there uh i could think of a lot of people but definitely my kids my wife i would say both sets of grandparents mm. would be crucial um my kids grandparents I don't have any left, but my, my parents, my wife's parents. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, as far as what I would drink, it depends on the time of the day, in the morning, a really good cup of coffee, mm-hmm. in the middle of the day, some kombucha, <laughs> and in the evening, probably a nice crisp glass of Sauvignon Blanc yep. and maybe some Carignan mm-hmm. to end it with. I like it. I like it. Thank you so much for sharing in a very short amount of time the history of Castro Cellars and Bethel Road Distillery. Thank you for having You're welcome. Yeah. Anytime. That's it for another episode of the Consumed Podcast. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. To learn more about any of the guests you hear on the podcast, visit letsgetconsumed.com. You can also sign up there for the Consumed newsletter where I share recipes, side stories, and more. Until next time, thank you for getting consumed together with me.